Welcome to the Relaxed Dog Podcast. The podcast where the dogs are the stars of the show. Welcome to episode 62 of the Relaxed Dog Podcast, sponsored by therelaxeddog.com. Thank you very much for finding this show. Welcome back if you have listened before and an extra big welcome if you are new to the show. I am your host, Robert Ober, and I hope that you and your dog, if you have one, are well. Now, I know that if you are on here, like me, you think that dogs are awesome. And the best way to get more people to realise that is to share the knowledge. So please don't forget, share this podcast with as many friends as you like. My guest this week will be Jason Johnson and we'll be talking about Flash. But first, in some doggy news... In uh, the US, in Arizona, Coda, the, I think the Coda is a Malamut, was going on her morning walk with the family when they were getting close to one of the local animal shelters and Coda stopped and was behaving a, a little differently and being very sort of inquisitive with a rubbish bag. Coda's owners investigated the rubbish bag and inside found a sealed uh, food cooler. Inside the cooler was a cat. The cat was taken then to the shelter and is continuing to have some treatment with uh, the vets there. So well done, Coda. And over to Thailand and in Bangkok, there's a clip doing the social media rounds showing yet another display of unconditional love where a dog is trying to jump up onto a stretcher where its guardian is being loaded into an ambulance by health workers uh, being suspected of being COVID-19 positive. The lady was taken to hospital and her son is now looking after the dog. And here's this week's interview. Welcome to the Relax Dog Podcast. I am here with Jason Johnson. How are you? I'm doing good, sir. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, an absolute pleasure. So whereabouts in the world are you? Uh, today we are in Tennessee at our Project Canine Hero Rehabilitation Rehoming Facility, where we have 177 acres located in the mountains between Chattanooga and Nashville. Oh, nice. Love the nice open space. <laughs> um. Who are we going to talk about today? Well, you know, at Project Canine Hero, we have 142 dogs in our program currently and over 150 applications and waiting. But we're going to talk about a special dog who not only was my police canine partner, but who helped inspire me start this organization, who, uh, if I had a co-founder, would be my co-founder, who also was named the 2018 Law Enforcement Hero Dog of the Year in the United States. So, And that is Canine Flash. Wow, it's going to be a special one, I think. <laughs> um, as per usual, I ask everyone to take us back in time to before you and Flash connected and talk, talk to us about the, the hows and whys that that happened. Well, sure, I... I came to the United States Army because I wanted to be a United States Army military police officer in 1993. Served my country from 93 to 98. Stationed in Europe. Had a few stations in the United States. <clears throat> Never really had an opportunity to get into the military working dog program just because of the units I was in and locations I was in. You know, still very young. I came in at 18. So I wanted to get out of the military and I wanted to get into police canine business. Um, I knew I'd want to been a dog handler the whole time. So when I came into the canine business or the police business in, in 1999, you know, the way in the United States here to get in the canine business is to volunteer, put on the bite suit, lay tracks, do Corian. Started doing that my first year in, did that for several years, 
Uh, I was in the South Hill District of Tacoma, Washington, uh, in that area south of Seattle, uh, working with the Pierce County Metro K-9 unit for several years on midnights. I was the youngest person on the department at the time, right when I got out of the Army. And uh, transferred over to Yakima Police in Central Washington State um, right in 2003. But shortly after being there, an opportunity came up to start a narcotics canine program. And here I had been, after being in the military, had been getting myself prepared for the next opening I found to be into a police canine unit. And when the opportunity came up, uh, I was fortunate enough to get the job. I had put in hundreds of hours of my own time. I had been going to trainings on my off time, taking days off, doing whatever I needed to do to prepare to get that position. And I, I was so thankful that I got it. And so when I got it, uh, we looked at what schools to go to. And uh, Washington State Patrol had just adopted a United States Border Patrol program for narcotics detection. And the trainer from El Paso, Texas at the National Academy there had come up to Washington State. And they were kind of doing a pilot. I think it was the first one they were running. And I happened to be in that class. And part of that program is they were selecting dogs who had the appropriate drives to be in narcotics detection. And since we were starting a new unit, we didn't really have any money in it yet. Uh, we went out and, and found dogs who may have been at the humane shelter or somewhere at an adoption facility who didn't have a home, but had the, the appropriate drives and attributes to be the detection dog, which for those listening who may not know, is the prey hunt air scent retrieve drive. And so we're looking at these different drives and we're evaluating dogs based on, you know, you know, the, you know, people, people will uh, say ball drive a lot, but that's not actually correct uh, when you're talking about ball drive. Yes, you want them to be interested in the toy reward, but the hunt, air, scent, prey, and retrieve are the four drives that we look at in detection work, along with sociability and environmental competence. So we evaluate, um, you know, dozens and hundreds of dogs. They even found one uh, at a shelter that I thought would do well. And I selected that one. It was a kind of a black lab mix. And another dog that had gotten selected from a humane society up in Everett, Washington, which is just north of Seattle, was Flash. And uh, Flash was kind of the extra dog in the class. Nobody really wanted Flash. We got about a week or so into the in-parent training, and this dog that I had selected just, you know, just wasn't cutting it. Just wasn't kind of catching on to the program. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had to fail it out. And then I... I had to take on Flash, and uh, I will be honest, nobody wanted Flash. Flash was very young, full of energy, kind of hard to handle, and a real pain in the butt for, for most people. And um, But, you know, I didn't have any other options here. I've been working to be a police canine handler for a long time, so I wanted to take the best opportunity that was going to make me a successful handler. And Flash certainly had the uh, energy and drive okay. to be a dog, uh, to be a narcotics dog, but lacked some other areas. So uh, about after the second week of class, I took on Flash, and it was a six-week course. We went on to graduate top of our class. We uh, uh, didn't have any misses. We're only dog in the class, dog team, to have no misses in our certification. And uh, she did great. She did great. We graduated, and we went off to my police department. And within just you know hours of being there, I don't even think it was days, but hours of being there, we started finding drugs all over the place. And in her career... Uh, and that's from 2005 into um, she retired in 2013. Flash had through over 3,000 deployments and 2,200 fines. Wow. So just going uh, back a little bit, how old and was there an indication of what sort of breed type or mix that was Flash when you first saw her? Yeah, we think Flash was probably around a year old, given the vet record, you know, what we knew. She was a home, she was homeless. She was picked up on the streets. Um, she didn't have any family. She didn't have anything to turn to. I mean, there was no real records per se. It wasn't like she was an adoption drop abandonment or anything where we knew. So, you know, that's simply maybe the veterinarian looking at the teeth, looking at the size of the dog. So we felt... Somewhere around summer of 2005, she was a year old, which would have put her born somewhere around spring or summer 2004. And, um, uh, you know, Flash is very interesting. She's got a kind of a black back like a German Shepherd, but she's got like uh, kind of a tan, you know, 
light colored face with the white spots, kind of like a cattle dog from, you know, even Australian cattle dog. And so we really, you know, is, I've asked, I've asked a lot of experts and they said, well, your guess is as good as mine, but maybe a, some type of German shepherd or some type of shepherd cattle dog mix. If I had a, if I, if I had to make a guess and mm-hmm. you know, she was a real big dog. She was only about, she's only about 50 pounds. And a lot of people think you have to be some big, bad police dog, Malinois shepherd, Dutch shepherd to be a police canine. And you don't, uh, you can, you can be an effective narcotics dog or an effective detection dog if you possess the right attributes to do the job. Mm-hmm. So did you take her home straight from training or during training? Well, while we were in training, the dog stayed at the uh, Washington State Patrol Academy and didn't come home with us on the weekends. Mm-hmm. I may have taken her home maybe that last weekend before graduation, but for the most part, she stayed there while we were there. Um, but yes, yeah, as soon as we graduated, she came home uh, with me to live full time. Okay. And how was that sort of initial transition into your place? Well, I had another uh, narcotics dog that I had been training just in case this one fell through on me. Mm-hmm. I had a yellow lab named Justice, and she lived in the house. And Flash, one of the downsides of Flash, why she was going to be euthanized, is she really didn't get along with other dogs very well. And uh, that's really the reason she was going to be put down until we came along and got her for this class right before that happened. Uh, so I had uh, lived out in the country, had a nice place where I had an indoor-outdoor shop area. And I created a nice indoor area where she could go to the outdoor area, covered it, built a lean-to, and gave her a big space of her own that was heated and cooled. And everything that I think I could do to make a dog's life comfortable other than being able to sleep in the, you know, in the bed with me in, in my own house. Oh, very nice. And did was there any sort of, like, issues when she sort of, like, first got in there? You know, not in the living condition. She she did great because, um, you know, she uh, she really she really kind of liked that situation. It was better when she had the academy, and, and I really made it like I said, nice as possible. But you know, I will. You know, the first year because she was so young, uh, she used to throw up her food and get kind of car motion sickness. And you know, even if she had ate, well, it don't matter if it was sixty minutes or six hours ago. Uh, I was for the first several months. I remember cleaning up a lot of a lot of food from the food sickness or emotion sickness. And uh, luckily after about, you know, a few months she outgrew that, but it could have been a really long career if, uh, you know, if that continued. But, uh, you know, at the time, again, I spent years trying to become a, a, a canine handler. And I always say, you know, being a police canine handler, especially here in the United States, it's kind of like being, you know, 1% of the 1%. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not very easy to do. My department had a couple hundred people on it. I was the only narcotics canine handler in the department. Mm. So in the in the vehicle, I know that there's various methods that uh, the canines get transported. What was the initial one that, that you used with Flash? Yeah, we, we actually had a, a newer Crown Victoria. So uh, let's see, it would have been a 2005 model, and it had a full insert in the back. So the back seat was a full cage insert where Flash had the entire back back area that was, you know, aluminum it was secured uh had the uh bars on the window so i could roll them down and no one could you know touch in there had the heat alarm and all of those things that you'd want for your canine car oh nice nice you use like toys and things like that to like train and and also give her downtime with well we you know in school we're kind of taught that primary reward toy which hers was a ball on a tug was only to be given you know when she was out finding narcotics but we played frisbee, um, you know, where I, you know, I had a couple acre home where I could throw the frisbee. I could throw the, you know, I could throw like a chuck it ball type thing. And I found ways to exercise with her without the special reward toy, which was the ball on the, you know, like a ball on a rope where you, she liked the interaction. Uh, she liked the back and forth with the handler. That That's what really engaged Flash. And, and in my experience where I, I've trained over 2,000 you know, detection dogs, explosive narcotics dogs here in the United States and worldwide. I always found the ones that like to engage with you the most uh, were the easier ones to train because they they enjoyed that. They enjoyed that one-on-one with you. And uh, I always felt like we had a better rapport and a better training process because of that. Uh, excellent. And what about sort of like ongoing detection training after the initial 
uh, school period. Sure. So it's a, it's a law here or was at that time in the United States that we had to do four hours of detection training a week. Um, so, you know, uh, my department was really good about it. We, one of my days of work was a canine train every other, every other like Wednesday or whatever it may have been, uh, was a canine training day. And I would get with some of the units in the area and we would spend eight hours of canine training. So we were able to keep that up pretty good. Flash never, you know, he never really experienced too many problems uh, with detecting odor. Some of the biggest issues I had with Flash is um, managing her dog aggression when we're trying to do a search and she encountered another animal. That was probably, uh, you know, that was my biggest training concern. So I, I would try to set those scenarios up as much as I could. The actual locating of narcotic odor was the easy part. The hard part was managing her, her bad behavior when she saw another dog. Okay. Um, so I know that there's different kinds of ways that the that canines are well that we teach canines to to track odor. Do you know what was her particular strong point? I would say uh, Flash had. Uh, so when we talk about the four um, drives that make a good detection dog hunt, air scent, prey, and retrieve, Flash was really high in the hunt drive. And I really like to procure dogs who have a super high hunt drive. That means she's going to go out and she's going to look for it uh, endlessly until she finds it. Uh, you can test that by, you know, taking a ball and throwing it in a high grass field. And if they go out there and they keep searching and searching and searching, and they're not going to come back without it. You know, then, you know, you got a dog with a good hunt drive, but they're going to go out there for 30 seconds and be like, you know what? I'm not really finding this thing. Uh, I'm just going to give up and come back. Then that's, that's not a good dog, but flashes hunt drive. So if we walk in a room anytime in retirement, out of retirement, house, whatever, she, from the search patterns I taught her, she would just come in the room and she would search the entire house without being told to do so. Um, and almost at 90% of the productive areas without me telling her to do it. That means she would just go search every deep corner up under refrigerators because she knew over 20, having 2,200 finds where she had found things before in the house or in a car or in a storage unit or in a house. Um, and so she was pretty used to go and do that. I mean, you could walk into a school, row a locker, 500 lockers. I should just go search everyone on her own. Nice, nice. How was the initial first few weeks when she was on the job? Really good because that part of central Washington state had a lot of narcotics issues. You had, um, you had a couple of highways that came through that ran between Seattle and Spokane. You had people running drugs that, weren't really being <clears throat> challenged as much before in the city. And so when we got out there working, I may be working with 25, 30 patrol officers on the street. And I would try to encourage them to call me if they seen certain nexus to drug activity. And it was back, back then it was nothing for someone to stop a car and someone have warrants for drugs or someone have drug paraphernalia and get that call. And, it was always my goal to do up to five searches a day. And that's a, that's a lofty goal. Um, I was like, Hey, if we can get five deployments today, maybe I can find one or two myself and maybe I can get three or four other patrol officers to call me out. Or maybe the task force calls me out or maybe we do a search warrant. And so when you had goals like that, so you end up with over uh, 3000 deployments, but um, you know, we were, we were really successful really fast and that really helped solidify uh, the basis for this program that just got started and helped me keep my job, the one I worked so hard to obtain. Oh, nice. I was just going to ask, being the first, and, and particularly in that area, was there much negativity from other officers that, hey, what's this guy doing with the dog? Well, you know, in the police business, you're going to have the jealous type. Uh, I feel like I earned that position. I feel I had worked for years I was also very proactive. I was also involved in a lot of positive things on the department. I was also a SWAT officer. I was a field training officer. I was in charge of our color guard unit and I was a defensive tactics instructor. So I, I'd given a lot of my time to that department and I felt, you know, if anyone's negative, that's just because they were jealous because they didn't get a take home car or, you know, they didn't get the extra training time and they had to go work the street when I didn't. Um, but you know what? that's going to be in any job you have. And you just kind of let that roll off your back because again, canines is 1% of the 
if you say 1% of the population is police officers, I'll tell you 1% of police officers are canine handlers. And it's not a very easy job to attain. Um, did you take Flash into the office or she had to stay in her car? No, I took her in. I'd take her in the dis, you know, up in dispatch uh, uh, on our second floor. We had uh, what was called city council. We had the police, fire, medical aid dispatchers and 911 call receivers. And of course, they would always ask me to bring Flash up. She, you know, even though she had aggression towards uh, other animals, she didn't towards people. Um, she was fine with people. They could pet her, you know, they could love on her, they could play with her. Uh, it was just other animals that she had issues with. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing there was a, a lot of the social appreciation just from having a dog in that sort of stressful environment. Sure. Yeah. The, you know, these, the, the people who worked up in the 911 center, they'd be up there for 10, 12 hours straight. And, you know, if I, you know, I, my hours were from five in the afternoon to two forty in the morning. So maybe, at, you know, 2 AM or one forty-five when you're kind of hitting that lull in the night where you're just kind of starting to get bored or, you know, you could use a little break taking flash up there was a good relief for them or a good social break. And it was good for me to get her out because when you're the first canine narcotics canine unit, we had two tracking dogs. We just didn't have any narcotics dogs. But when you're first like detection dog there, it's almost everything is PR public relations, whether that's with the employees of the department, whether that's with the chain of command or the public, uh, we were going out and doing events, uh, you know, national night outs. I would go to schools and do demos Whatever, you know, you want to get out there and do whatever you got to do to show people, hey, this is something positive for the community and it should be here to stay. Mm. Do you think Flash enjoyed the the social part of that? I think she did. I think Flash loved people. Uh, if you look at a lot of the photos that, you know, I've sent you, uh, you can see she's smiling a lot. And she had a big smile. Um, and... Uh, I can tell you there was days, there's very few days, like if I had SWAT training and maybe we were going to the range or somewhere, I didn't need to take flash or I didn't want her sitting in the car all day when I, when I wouldn't be able to pay attention to her. So if I, and we had a take home canine car, if I fired up that car and left without her, I can tell you she was highly offended and highly upset (laughs) and it happened on occasion and she was not happy about that car leaving without her in it. Mm -hmm. Was there much Physical training with Flash. Well, I mean, being being a, a narcotics canine handler, you know, there's some physical parts of the job as far as just doing searches and, and long searches. Um, you know, through our training, I would always try to set up. I in, in a few years after be getting Flash, I became a trainer for the state and a certification official. We had an association there called the Washington State Police Canine Association. And when I started doing certifications and things, I always made sure, you know, some of the searches I set up were five minutes, but some of them might have been set up for 45 minutes. And you want to make sure not only me as a handler was fit to search for 45 minutes or more, that so was the dog. And, you know, and sometimes it would be an easy find. And sometimes we may do a a 30 minute blank search, you know. So when you talk about that level of physical, uh, to be a handler, to be bending over constantly, to be presenting, to be moving your feet, to be uh, active. Um, it's a job you need to be physically fit for. And, and to this day, I still sit on oral boards for canine units. I sat on one last week right here in, in, in the county I live in. And, uh, you know, physical fitness was part of my questions for the handler. Oh, nice. Um, are you able to talk us through some of the more challenging searches that Flash completed? Yeah, I've, I've published a few in a few university textbooks. Um, I'd like, you know, I'll, sh- I'll share some. Uh, one of the stories I wrote in a university textbook, I uh, had a chapter. I used to teach a master's course in executive protection. And I had a chapter in this book that kind of covered on what they didn't teach me in the academy. And it talks about canine deployments and things that, just things we've experienced. And that, uh, you know, it wasn't really went over in class. So I was at home about one night. Um, we, I used to get a lot of call outs and I got called out from the county sheriff's office. I lived out in the county. It was probably about 30 minutes from my house. Uh, I lived outside the city a little bit I, where I had worked for the city though. But, you know, we had a mutual aid you know, agreement where I could go. I just had to check with the supervisor on duty. 
uh, you know, a deputy had stopped the car, <clears throat> smelled the odor of narcotics in there, uh, placed him in custody. You could do that back then, do a search of the car. You can't find anything. I think the gentleman had a warrant or maybe a bad license or something like that. He had a reason to arrest him, but he still was coming up empty. And before he towed it, someone told him he should call me. So I'm home asleep. I have to get dressed, get flash night. He was trying to do it really quick. Drive out there. So now I get there. He's got the gentleman, uh, you know, in in the back of his county squad car. The tow truck's probably been sitting there waiting for 30 minutes to tow it. And they're, you know, they're just waiting on the side of a hill for me to search it. So I didn't know this deputy. He didn't know me. Uh, he kind of gives me a rundown what happened. I'm like, okay. And so he's standing at his car. So I go to start on the rear bumper, uh, the way the wind was coming. I was going to start on the rear driver's side bumper, and I was going to work my way around the exterior, and then work my way into the interior after I did that. And as I started on the rear bumper, I was going across the trunk, and Flash pulls me towards the deputy's car bumper where the deputy stands. And so I reel her back in with the leash, and I put her back on the trunk of the car and try to continue my search. She pulls me once again to the deputy's car. At this time, we used to uh, we were trained in the Border Patrol program there, a uh, two-strike rule that if a dog pulls you to an area twice, go ahead and go search that area, eliminate it, and then come back where you were. Mm -hmm. like, All right. I asked this deputy to kindly step out of the way. I'm going to search the front of his car. And you should have seen the way he looked at me <laughs> with utter disappointment that he just waited 45 minutes at you know 3 in the morning for me to come out there and do this. And he said, well, the, the, the smell of drugs isn't coming from my car. It's coming from that car. I said, I know, but I need you to step aside. I'm going to search your car. And he kind of shook his head in disbelief, stepped aside. Like I was the entire waste of his time. I started on the front passenger headlight. I got to his push bars. Flash gave a pretty solid change of behavior, increased respiration, change of body posture, and a quick sit. I asked him to go pop his hood. He popped his hood. And there was about a half a pound of marijuana stuck down in his radiator. Oh, oh, oh wow. <laughs> and yeah. And uh, what had happened, uh, what had happened is he arrested and the, the gentleman had it kind of in his back, you know, lower back pants and stuff down in there. Well, he cuffed him back there and didn't search him real well and set him on the push bumper and he went to go search the car. Well, while I was on the push bumper. He took that out of his back of his waist where it was at and had shoved it all up into the uh, radiator, you know, through the holes there. And that's where it was at. And that's where we found it. Wow. So, uh, so the title of that story in my, one of my books is sometimes you have to search the cop car first. <laughs> and they don't teach you that in the Academy. No. <laughs> For a moment, I thought that was going to possibly go in another direction. <laughs> and no, no. Um, so in, Flashes downtime. What did what did you guys sort of do? And well, you know, we kind of tried to. I tried to train every day. I was a little worried, you know, back when I was new. I wanted to be so good at this thing that I don't know if if Flash wasn't on odor for a day or two. I kind of felt like I need to go set something up. Mm -hmm. And now I've learned a little more. I realized that once a dog has so many repetitions and so many things that you're probably okay. But man, I was, you know, I was like, man, I got to do it. Even at home on my off day, I'd, I'd set up an open area search or, or something to try to stay active. Um, but being on SWAT and being, uh, you know, helping the DA task force and things, uh, there wasn't too many days I wasn't getting calls. Um, and we did that up until 2008. And then in 2008, I was actually recruited to go work overseas in Iraq to be a personal protection detail handler for explosives for the U.S. ambassador. And it's a job opportunity I went and did a one-month interview for, and I got it. And uh, actually, I actually had Lee Flash behind in 2008. And uh, she stayed on that department and ended up working with two other handlers. Uh, 2010, I was recruited by the ATF, and I went to our National Academy in uh, Virginia. And I taught explosive detection. Oh, after Iraq, I went to Afghanistan for a tour. I worked there for the uh, U.S. ambassador as well, uh, Ambassador Carl Eikenberry and General Stanley McChrystal. And I did things like um, the, the elections between President Karzai there in Afghanistan and 
Abdullah Abdullah. I did high level meetings and things like that. Just really great experience, which led me to the ATF to teach agencies like the FBI, the CIA, the U.S. Marshals. And I went there in 2010. So I, I kind of lost Flash from 2008 until she retired in 2013. Okay. And when she, when she retired, she actually needed a new home. And the department called me and asked me if I'd be willing to come get her. How was that initial couple of weeks after you first had to leave her? Well, the first thing I did is I went down for the one month job interview and I didn't quit my job yet because, you know, uh, I worked hard to get that canine spot and I was trying to go to a larger canine spot. And uh, I just kind of pretty much took a month vacation and, uh, you know, she uh, she was OK. Uh, I was so busy and focused on what I was trying to do um, at that moment. Uh, you know, I was trying to achieve my goals. I knew flash was going to be able to stay on the department. I, there was a handler that just transferred over from the state patrol who had helped me get that position. And I was, you know, going to recommend him to take over flash. He helped train me and I thought it was a good fit. And uh, when I got the job and I ended up resigning to, to leave the department to go to Iraq, that's exactly what happened. And, uh, she started working with him. Okay. Do you, do you keep track of her while you were away? I did. I would get emails of her fines and they would send me things that she was doing out there. And, uh, you know, she never really slowed down. I mean, she just went on to have the amazing career. And the only reason she retired about a year early and the only reason she retired in 13, rather than maybe working another year or two, she was only nine. She probably could have went another year or two is because Washington state in that year had legalized marijuana and flash had been trained on marijuana and uh, they were starting to go to dogs who weren't marijuana trained. Mm-hmm. And because she had so many fines and things, they felt it easy. It was going to be easier to retire at that time. Okay. Did she ever have any medical issues in the time that you were working with her? Not while we were working, but in 2013, when I got her back, um, she had Lyme disease. And, uh, you know, I was living in Virginia. And, uh, I, I flew up to Washington state to pick her up. I was working at the ATF and the government. I was like, I was a federal canine instructor for the U S government and, uh, you know, taking her to the vet and finding out she had Lyme disease. Uh, and it, it did start create a lot of problems in her retirement, uh, where she was losing control of her bowel movements, um, where certain, certain things that she couldn't control no more. Uh, especially in her um, joints and movements, especially in her rear end, where, uh, you know, over the last few years of retirement, uh, not only was she not able to get up, but in the last, you know, year or so, she wouldn't be able to sometimes even go outside to go to the bathroom on her own. So uh, I really saw when a dog has 3,000 appointments in their career and searched tens or hundreds of thousands of vehicles, what that does to them in their elderly age. Mm. And, you know, and when we talked about in the beginning, that's what inspired me to start project canine hero. And now I now had a police canine, uh, the, you know, I had worked who did so much for their community. And when they retired, uh, no one was there to help them with their medical care and, and flash had seized millions and millions and millions of dollars of drug tainted currency and assets in her career. And not one of those assets or millions of dollars was ever used to help pay for a medical bill for her. And, you know, that's one thing we push with project canine hero. And that's why we raise funding to help these retired police canines and military working dogs because they deserve it. They went out there, worked hard and they deserve it. Just before we go forward with a little bit more of that, the reunion when you came back, I'm guessing that's one of the very vivid moments in your mind. It is. And it wasn't the first time I, I had saw her though, because I had come back a few times to Washington state when I was, uh, um, either, uh, still deploying overseas or when I was in ATF. So I had probably seen her, I think two other times prior to 13 and I had came back and visited and, and, uh, spent some time with her and played with her. Um, so, you know, I was, uh, it, it wasn't like I was gone the entire time. Um, but you know, this time I knew I was coming 
uh, to get her to take her back to live with me for good. And she was a different dog. She was, she was more relaxed. The animal aggression issues had really calmed down. Um, when I was training dogs for the ATF, but sometimes I would have certain dogs in training I would bring home with me and flash could be around certain ones, certain ones she didn't like and certain ones she could, she could lay right there next to it on the couch. Mm-hmm. And it was a lot different in retirement. Uh, I treated her a lot different in retirement. Uh, I no longer, you know, uh, felt that we had to keep that working dog relationship. If she wanted to sleep on the bed, she wanted to sleep on the couch then the flash got to sleep on the couch of the bed. That's, you know, but when we were, you know, we're police canine team, it, it wasn't exactly like that. Ah, uh, nice. Nice. And do you think she took full advantage of that extra freedom? Oh, she did. She did. She loved it. And, you know, and I was happy to be able to provide that for her because the other handlers she had after I left, weren't able to keep her for various reasons. And, uh, I'm glad I was. Ah, uh, nice. So being on, uh, and in an area where there's a, a large open spaces, did she have much interaction with other animal species? You know, being that shepherd, cattle dog mix or whatever she may have been, yeah, she she loved try. You know, if there was a fresh rabbit out there, if there was some other, you could see she would she'd be trying to trace it down. So, I think that's just the natural innate, you know, uh, genetic makeup of the breeds mm-hmm. and um, we never tried to enhance it or diminish it. Yeah. I think it was just always there. Okay. Um, when she had retired and I know you were still working, but did you ever have uh, some, something longer than a, than a short break, like a, a couple of weeks to take some downtime and, and leave and go somewhere with her? Um, you know, every uh, I used to teach right up to the fall and I had to take some leave because of our class schedule when I was an instructor. And uh, we have a place up in Northern Michigan in the upper peninsula on a place called Drummond Island. And uh, for the last couple of years of her life, I'd take her up there and we had a, a little place on Lake Huron, a little frontage where she could get out, get in the lake, uh, you know, flash like chasing the ball, chasing the Frisbee. And we would uh, take her up there. She probably had went up there five or six times in retirement for several weeks at a time. And she really did enjoy it. Yes. Mm-hmm. And you just mentioned the lake. So she enjoyed being in the water. She did. She was a little uh, picky about them. Some other dogs who would just jump right in with no fear. She would kind of just prance her way out there until she felt comfortable. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, where I have other dogs that will just go bail in there, jump off deep end, don't care. Um, Flash was a little more cautious with it. Uh-huh, nice. Probably, uh, I don't know what sort of answer I'm going to get for you. From it's a little bit different with professional dogs, but I'm going to ask you to complete the sentence. I can't believe my dog ate. I don't think I've ever allowed her to eat anything, uh, and it is different because one, I've seen a few dogs die from exposure to narcotics, so always cautious of that. Mm-hmm. Um, the way I had it set up when we worked is she was in a controlled environment with me 24 seven in the back of the police car or in that indoor outdoor kind of, which I controlled, you know, at all times, what would, what went in and out of there. So, uh, you know, it's just part of being a professional canine handler. I, and I say this cause I've trained thousands of students. Um, the dog's never at fault. If the dog did eat something, that's a handler. That's handler fault to me. Mm-hmm. That means you allowed it to get it something that it wasn't supposed to. And that's handler error. Yep. And, right. uh, they, they, they probably don't want to hear that, <laughs> but like, no, I went out. Well, if you went outside or you left the trash out or whatever you did, you should have had it set up where they couldn't get it, whatever they got to. And so when I was teaching, you know, federal law enforcement and, and police canine, uh, I used to say that to them a lot, but really the dog can do no wrong. Mm-hmm. Did she have any peculiar habits? Um, think about that. Uh, you know, nothing, nothing too crazy. Uh, I, you know, the way she smiled was uh, probably the best thing about Flash. You could see her smiling uh, when she was around me, smiling. 
you know, in our later years, you know, I've written two books, Canine Flash Becomes a Hero and Canine Flash a Hero's Hero. And uh, we'd go to schools and we've read that book in hundreds of schools all across America. I would say the tens of, if not hundreds of thousands of people and Flash would smile. She would sit right up there in the spotlight and smile. Nice. So with your fondest memory of Flash? Uh, hands down, 2018, when we were named the Law Enforcement Hero Dog of the Year in America, being in Beverly Hills, being on the red carpet, uh, having all the paparazzi take our photos. We've appeared on the Today Show. We've appeared on CNN. We've appeared on Fox. Uh, we have a video on Hallmark Channel, which I shared with you, that tells our story. Uh, we've met some incredible people and we've become a spokesperson for the police canine business. So, um, But the day uh, we were in Hollywood and, and stood on the stage you know, and, and accepted our award in front of uh, millions and millions of people on TV around the world is, was hands down the most uh, special moment for us. Okay, and to, for the people listening that don't aren't familiar with that award why was that award given to you and flash well uh, every year american humane has a uh, hero dog awards uh there's a law enforcement arson category as well as like therapy and service dog and search and rescue and flash obviously was competing in the, the law enforcement category not only based on her career as a police officer but based on what she's doing in retirement with our organization and what we do with Project Canine Hero, giving back to other police canines around the world. And uh, for that reason, we were voted on by the American public um, in, in, a, in a nationwide search and a nationwide vote over several months uh, as, as the hero dog of the year for the law enforcement category. Oh, nice. So we mentioned a couple of times about Project Canine Hero. Can you talk to us about Flash's role and how that whole thing sort of evolved? I strongly feel if I hadn't got Flash back in retirement in 13, I wouldn't have realized as much as I do now what some of those costs that we incur as handlers uh, when our dogs retired. And what people should know is that there's no public funding in place. There's no government funding that the agencies they serve for the most part don't have money set aside to help with their bills. So where Flash had Lyme disease, some dogs have cancer, lymphoma, need an amputation. It, some of the dogs in our program can be hurt in the line of duty, then be retired, and then the handler gets stuck with the bills, whether they can be shot or stabbed. So we're really here to spread awareness about the importance of taking care of our retired police canines and military working dogs raise funding to make sure that no dog goes without care and change legislation within our government to ensure that there's going to be some better laws to help take care of them uh, after they've served our communities. Oh, nice. And did was Flash an active part of the promotion of that to the authorities and to, to like uh, put the, the face of Canine Hero there? She absolutely. She was our, our first member. She is the uh, first ambassador. Uh, you know, if people go to our website at projectcanonhero.org, you're going to see a lot of flash items. You'll see the children's books. You'll see shirts with her on it. Um, and you know, uh, she was like, like I was saying, our first, our first ambassador. And if I had a co-founder, it would be Flash. And um, I think that you know, it's something. People come up to me all the time who know who, who we are or see me out in public or on social media, and they still talk about Flash, and they, they still bring up the stories. And I just released a new book here within this last year called Canine Flash, a Hero's Hero. And uh, it talks about the dogs we're helping and talking about their role, uh, of what they did with their police and military. It's to educate the children about the canine profession in a positive manner. When I was a child, I only knew I wanted to be a soldier because my grandfather served in World War II and Korean War. I had no idea that being a working dog handler was a profession. I didn't know that until I got in the Army. And um, once I found out you could be a professional canine handler for the rest of your life, 
uh, you know, I've never done anything else. Ah, nice, nice. So with Flash and the children's books, was that a, a slightly different sort of way of promotion going back into schools and, and areas like that? I think so. I think, you know, starting with the children and educating them on what police canines do for our communities, how they are, are not bad for us, you know, because, you know, some children are a little bit of fear of police or military and to show how they help the communities and how they can help make uh, the, your school safer and how they can help make uh, our nation safer, not only domestically, but abroad. So um, we touch a little bit about that on both of our books. And again, if someone wants to find them uh, at projectk9hero.org, just you hit down to the shop. We have a, a kids or a collectible section and, and you'll see the children's books right there. Ah, nice. It's always incredible the impact of that a single dog can make not only on a the, the person's life that they sort of connect with, but just the flow on and hearing that you know, Flash has inspired you to do what you've done and how she's now impacted on hundreds and hundreds of dogs. That's right. And, you know, um, I have a saying uh, that I, that, that I use for flash is that, you know, because, you know, she was going to be euthanized before she got her chance to be a police canine. Cause she's not your typical German shepherd or your typical Malinois or even Labrador retriever. It's that no matter where you come from, uh, regardless of how you started or anything like that, that you can achieve anything in the world, as long as you're willing to work hard enough to earn it. So that's what flash did. Uh, you know, she started from very humble beginnings on the street into the Humane Society, a day away from euthanization, and ends up getting a chance to become police canine at school. And she made the most of her opportunity. And that's what I try to inspire children to do, regardless of what neighborhood you're from, regardless of your educational background or what your parents did. You can make it all the way to the top, just like Flash did. Yeah, that's a, a, a beautiful story and a, and a a really, really nice way of putting it especially through the eyes of a, of a child to see that what Flash has done and then to take that back into their own sort of journey. And I think that's what we're trying to do with Project Canine Hero and the children's books when we, when we talk about that. I think we need to get them to relate how it can affect their life. Um, and that's truly how you change the world. Um, you know, we may be an organization that pays medical bills for dogs, but that don't mean I can inspire a child to go and chase their dreams to find their passion. My passion turned out being training military and police canines. But the point of it is to find your passion. Maybe that's baking. Maybe that's teaching. Maybe that's music. Whatever it may be, I think the message is still the same. And the message of Flash being able to go from that street puppy who's not your prototypical you know, law enforcement canine to be in the 2018 law enforcement hero of the year. I think it's just an incredible lesson to be learned there. Absolutely. Absolutely. I know we've mentioned a couple of times, but do you just want to run through your social medias and, and website again, just so people can take note and obviously find out where they can see a whole lot more about flash. Who's a truly, truly awesome dog. So some of the videos we talked about with like being on Hallmark and some of the other stuff is all on our YouTube channel. And that's at project K nine hero. It's project the letter K number nine hero. You'll see that on our YouTube. I always encourage people to follow us on Facebook. We, we do a lot on there. That's at project K nine hero as well, as well as our Instagram and Twitter. It's also at project K nine hero. And then I think we're connected on my LinkedIn and that is Jason Johnson, project K nine hero. And we have about 175,000 combined social media followers. And they, they're very passionate about what we do. And it's, it's great to have them, um, you know, following our journey. Um, but for all the items that you may want to purchase to donate, to give back, to learn more, I would suggest you go to our website at projectk9hero.org. You can check out the capital campaign of the rehab rehoming facility we're building right here in Tennessee. We're looking for sponsors. We have the Canine Hero Awards, our own national award show, November 4th, Mellon Auditorium, Washington, D.C. 
Over 100 U.S. congressional members and members of the Senate are going to be there as co-hosts. We're honoring seven of the nation's top law enforcement, military, uh, fire and search and rescue dogs in seven categories. And the winners will receive free healthcare for life from our organization. And uh, we got some other great big things in the works that I I can't announce yet, (laughs) but it's going to take us not only to a national level, but an international level. And I'm really excited to share those when I can. But we're out here working hard every day to grow this organization. You know, I quit the government in 2017 to do this full time. And we've been very lucky and fortunate to uh, have the donors we have and the support we have. So, and we realize not everyone can donate. So if you can't, all we ask you to do is share. If you're listening to this podcast, share the podcast. Tell your friends about Project Canine Hero. As I mentioned before, uh, we're helping even members there in Australia. Uh, I've had canine members with uh, parliament there contact me and ask me how to start an organization. How did I do it? And I've, I've tried to advise them. I've advised people in the UK to do the same. And the fact that there's, there's canine professionals around the world watching what we're doing and trying to emulate that in their countries makes me very, very proud. Absolutely. I have really, really appreciated uh, your time and having a chat and hearing all about Flash. Thank you, Jason, very, very much. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much for listening. I hope that you enjoyed the show. As I mentioned before, the best thing you can do for us and for all dog lovers is to share the experience. Just like our new listeners in Śródmieszka in Poland and in Dublin, Ireland. Thank you very much. If you are interested, jump onto Facebook and join us in the Relaxed Dog Podcast Facebook group. Until next time, stay safe and remember, your dog is family.